Welcome to another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. I'm Marcus Pappy's Reggie Rizzo. On today's episode, a new gene therapy that could potentially improve the hearing of deaf children. An AI meltdown as the tech turns on its leader. And no, this is not the plot to Mission Impossible. Plus, the world's smallest escape room could leave you crippled with anxiety. And on this day in history, an iconic tower breaks ground. Coming up on Cool Stuff Ride Home. There is a new gene therapy that has enabled several children born with inherited deafness to gain the ability to hear. A recent study highlights a significant restoration of hearing in five out of six children treated in China. Similar results were reported by the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia regarding an 11-year-old boy earlier in the month. Chinese researchers published a study showcasing comparable results in two additional children. While the experimental therapies currently target a specific rare condition, Scientists believe that similar treatments could potentially benefit many more children with various forms of deafness caused by genetic factors. Globally, around 34 million children suffer from deafness or hearing loss, with up to 60% of cases attributed to genes. Hereditary deafness is the latest focus of gene therapy, which has already been approved for treating conditions such as sickle cell disease and severe hemophilia. Children with hereditary deafness typically receive a cochlear implant to help them perceive sound. According to Zheng Zhen of Boston's Mass Eye and Ear, a senior author of the study published in the Lancet Journal, quote, No treatment could reverse hearing loss. That's why we're always trying to develop a therapy. We couldn't be more happy or excited about the results, end quote. Videos documenting the progress of patients show a baby who previously couldn't hear responding to a doctor's words six weeks after treatment. Another video depicts a young girl 13 weeks post-treatment repeating words like father, mother, grandmother, sister, and I love you. All of the children in the study had a condition responsible for 2-8% to of inherited deafness caused by mutations in a gene governing an inner ear protein called odoferrin. The one-time therapy involved delivering a functional copy of the gene to the inner ear during a surgical procedure. While most children were treated in one ear, one child in the study received treatment in both ears. During the study, they observed the children for approximately six months. Though researchers don't understand why the treatment failed for one child, the other five, who previously experienced complete deafness, can now engage in regular conversations and communicate with others. Chen estimates their current hearing level to be around 60 to 70% of normal with no significant side effects from the therapy. Preliminary results from other research have been just as positive. Regeneron Pharmaceuticals announced in October that a child under two in a study they sponsored with Decibel Therapeutics showed improvement six weeks after gene therapy. The Philadelphia Hospital, one of several sites in a test sponsored by a subsidiary of Eli Lilly called ACAS, reported that a patient out of Spain heard sounds for the first time after being treated in October. Though they were muffled like he was wearing foam earplugs, he's now able to hear his father's voice in cars on the road, said Dr. John Germiller, who led the research in Philadelphia. According to Germiller, it's a dramatic improvement. His hearing has improved from a state of complete and profound deafness with no sound at all to the level of mild to moderate hearing loss, which you can say is a mild disability. And that's very exciting for us and for everyone, end quote. While there are some ethical concerns surrounding gene therapy for deafness, researchers are optimistic about the potential impact of the work, acknowledging the field is advancing. Dr. Lawrence Lustig of Columbia University, involved in the Regeneron trial, emphasized that even a moderate recovery of hearing in these children is remarkable. However, questions about the duration of therapy effectiveness and the possibility of further hearing improvement remain unanswered. Researchers are determined to continue their efforts despite ongoing ethical discussions surrounding gene therapy for deafness. Dr. Chen said, quote, This is real proof showing gene therapy is working. 
It opens up a whole field, end quote. And one of the people uh, kind of, I don't want to say dissenting, but questioning the morality of this test. It was from a deaf professor. Deafness doesn't cause severe or bodily illness like, for example, sickle cell disease. That was one of her complaints. So you maybe we should be focusing more on that. She said it's important to gauge with deaf community members about prioritization of gene therapy, particularly as this is perceived by many as potentially an existential threat to the flourishing of the signing deaf communities. But either way, I mean, I'm sure a lot of kids would love the chance to have this therapy and hear for the first time, hear their parents' voice, or, you know, like the one kid, you may not be able to hear completely, but hear the cars. I mean, that, that could potentially even save lives. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I understand that it's not a life or death situation, and I can appreciate where the one, I'll call them a dissenter, uh, even though I don't know that that's necessarily exactly what they're saying here, but if it can improve the quality of life, and there is a method that we have come upon, I, I shouldn't say we, but the, the doctors, people much smarter than myself have come upon, why wouldn't we advance that? I, I, I think that argument at times where you say, well, these things over here are more important Yes, I, nobody's disputing that we would love to have a cure or therapy or something to assist with those conditions as well, but it's not necessarily, hey, we're focused on this one, so we're taking time away from the others. It just it doesn't always work that way in life. So if you can find something that, that helps these kids improve their quality of life and better communicate with their friends and family, again, knowing that a lot of people thrive with, with sign language and and, and that's that's amazing, quite frankly. But but still, to uh, to be able to provide them with what so many of us uh, already have, that that that's pretty darn impressive. And I don't see why we wouldn't continue to pursue that. Personal opinion, but that's how how I feel about it. Moving on to some more lighthearted stories. If you consider the theme of being buried alive lighthearted, often associated with the works of Edgar Allan Poe, it serves as the inspiration for the new catalepsy attraction. It's a live action escape room by Spanish company Horror Box. Now, as you might have guessed, this isn't your traditional escape room because it's not a room at all. Instead, participants work together to solve puzzles and free themselves from coffins within 30 minutes. The mortuary-themed experience is designed to simulate a situation reminiscent of the participant's own funeral. Of course, the attraction is not recommended for claustrophobes, but if you are brave enough, it provides a unique and certainly immersive twist on the popular escape room concept. If you're wondering about the name, it's a reference to a medical condition easily mistakable for death. I personally had never heard of it, so I went to, naturally, Wikipedia, which says catalepsy is a nervous condition characterized by muscular rigidity and fixity of posture regardless of external stimuli, as well as a decreased sensitivity to pain. Symptoms include a rigid body, rigid limbs, limbs staying in the same position when moved, no response, loss of muscle control, and slowing down of bodily functions such as breathing. Catalepsy is a symptom of certain nervous disorders or conditions as well, such as Parkinson's disease and epilepsy. It's also a characteristic symptom of cocaine withdrawal, apparently, as well as one of the features of catatonia. Per a Reuters report, players in this escape room, using air quotes, can customize several aspects of the experience, including the type of casket or whether they want to be cremated, quote unquote, in a blaze of virtual flames and artificial smoke. 
The article didn't specify, but I can only imagine that's what happens if you are unable to escape in time a virtual cremation. Let's certainly hope that's the case. Uh, by the way, while we're on the subject, uh, taphophobia is the fear of being buried alive as a result of being incorrectly pronounced dead. Just thought I'd throw that out there as a fun fact. In times predating modern medicine, the fear was... Not entirely unfounded either. Across history, numerous instances of accidental live burials did occur. Yikes. In 1905, English reformer William Tebb documented cases of premature burial, revealing 219 near-live burials, 149 actual live burials, 10 instances of live dissection, my God, and two cases of awakening during the embalming process. All that per Christine Quigley's 1996 book, The Corpse, A History. Well, that's some fun reading material, quite the subject matter there. Uh, at one point, the fear was so widespread that the security coffin was invented and patented, which came with a mechanism, typically a bell, for the occupant to signal had they been buried alive. They could let one of the groundskeepers above know the fear of being buried alive peaked during the cholera epidemics of the 19th century. So, uh, I said lighthearted at the start of this, Reggie. I was 100% wrong about that. That was a terrible description of this story, but uh, nonetheless, I found it to be a little bit interesting and thought I'd share it and yeah I I, I can only I don't this I, I mean the fear of being down under the ground with nothing but a bell to try to signal to someone that I'm down here that that sounds about as scary as it could possibly get for me just remember though being pronounced dead when you're not dead isn't a new thing you just had a story last week of an 80 year old guy that was being shipped to his funeral and he came back alive after a pothole so right th this is still a, a current problem just just as a reminder and as for the escape room you know i i don't like being in the tight spaces but i'm sure there's regulations on airflow and stuff that i don't think it would bother me as much knowing that there has to be some type of airflow, and I can't suffocate. So it wouldn't be as stressful for me as actually being in a coffin, but I still, I don't know. I don't do escape rooms right now, so I don't think I'm going to do a coffin one, especially by myself. <laughs> I mean, I need help to get out of escape room if I'm going to do one. Yeah, I guess you could go into it knowing that you're not actually going to be buried alive uh, or, or cremated for that matter, but it sounds like the plot to a bad horror movie. You go into an escape room where you're faking being buried alive only to realize that you're actually being buried alive and now there's 30 minutes to communicate with your friend in the other coffin and figure out how to get out i could see that movie being made after all of this but yeah i don't i don't know how i feel about it would i try it i suppose so i think it would be awkward though i, I do think i would get and i'm not typically a claustrophobic person but i do think i might get that way and in that setting. So I have done traditional escape rooms, I think on three different occasions. They can be fun, but uh, I mean, not to say that I, I didn't enjoy my time there, but it's also not something that I seek out uh, necessarily for entertainment. I think most of us have come to know the frustration associated with conversing with an incompetent chatbot. As time rolls on, more and more companies have opted for AI in their customer service, mainly as a means for saving money that would otherwise be spent on actual human customer service reps. Well, with that in mind, a lot of people are having a good laugh at the expense of France-based company DPD, a parcel delivery service similar to UPS or FedEx in the U.S. This after its chatbot went rogue and the tale was told on social media. 
Per Sky News, DPD has disabled its AI chatbot after a customer was able to make the bot swear and write a poem criticizing its parent company. 30-year-old Ashley Bochamp was trying to locate a missing parcel, noting he was going round and round in circles trying to get any sort of information from said company's chatbot. Bochamp told Sky News, quote, It couldn't give me any information about the parcel, it couldn't pass me on to a human, and it couldn't give me the number of their call center. It didn't seem to be able to do anything useful. I was getting so frustrated at all the things it couldn't do that I tried to find out what it actually could do, and that's when the chaos started, end quote. The musician first asked the bot to tell him a joke, and soon thereafter, it was happily writing poems about DPD's, quote, unreliable service, end quote. <laughs> per Bochamp, quote, after a few more prompts, it was happy to swear, too, end quote. Bochamp shared the bizarre conversation on X, formerly Twitter, noting the bot replies to one message saying, bleep, uh, F word, yeah, I'll do my best to be as helpful as possible, even if it means swearing, end quote. In another part of the exchange, the bot calls itself a useless chatbot that can't help you. <laughs> the, <laughs> the post went viral, accumulating more than 1 million views in 24 hours. DPD told Sky News that the customer service chatbot had suffered from a, quote, error after a system update, and it has now been disabled. Yes, yes, it's just a simple error over there. Per their statement, quote, we are aware of this and can confirm that it is from a customer service chatbot. In addition to human customer service, we have operated an AI element within the chat successfully for a number of years. An error occurred after a system update yesterday. The AI element was immediately disabled and is currently being updated. When asked what he made of the event, Bochamp called it a very amusing situation while also pointing out AI chatbots need to work on improving lives, not impacting them. Quote, I think it really struck a chord with people. These chatbots are supposed to improve our lives, but so often when poorly implemented, it just leads to a more frustrating, impersonal experience for the user. As a musician, I'm painfully aware of the impact that machine learning and AI will have on my industry and on the arts in general. I think it is so important that these tools are regulated effectively and are used to improve our lives, not impact negatively on them. End quote. Mochamp said DPD has not contacted him personally, and there is still no sign of his missing parcel. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, Reg, you would think that DPD would at least realize maybe we should check in with this guy and point out, hey, sorry you didn't get the service you were looking for. Here's where your package is actually at. Yeah, I think this shows how important that having sometimes real customer service can be. Although I feel like as I've done some customer service uh, kind of work in my past that, yeah, I feel like swearing sometimes too and writing a poem <laughs> criticizing the company. So yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'm guessing the companies assume, hey, if we go to AI, we're never going to have to worry about disgruntled employees. <laughs> well, it seems like you're having to worry about disgruntled AI, maybe disgruntled robots in the future. So are we really getting away from those issues? I don't know. Make sure you have a human available at all times. And if you had a system update, I mean, I don't, does no one check these things after they're implemented? Is there no quality assurance team to ensure, oh yeah, everything's functioning as it should be? Uh, I, apparently not. And you know what? At the end of the day, I guess it provided us with a pretty humorous story. Taking a look at this day in history on January 26, 1887, ground is broken and construction begins on the Eiffel Tower. No, not the one in Vegas, Marcus. Oh. The, the real one in oh, Paris. Okay. <laughs> in 1889, as Paris commemorated the 100-year anniversary of the French Revolution with the Expedition Universelle, the city sought a monument to serve as the grand entrance to the event. Over 100 artists submitted proposals, and the commission was awarded to the renowned Alexandre Gustave Eiffel. 
However, the true genius behind the iconic structure was Maurice Quakela, a structural engineer that Eiffel employed. It took 22 months to complete a staggering 18,000 pieces meticulously designed and calculated. Wow. The construction site consisted of anywhere between 150 to 300 workers at a time, many of whom had experience constructing great metal viaduct products. The tower's construction was a marvel of precision. Each piece was initially assembled with bolts and later replaced with thermally assembled rivets, a process requiring a team of four men for each rivet. The tower's uprights rested on concrete foundations, and watertight metal caissons were used on the side by the Seine River, allowing work below the water level. Wooden scaffolding and steam cranes mounted onto the tower itself facilitated the assembly. The use of sandboxes and hydraulic jacks ensured the accurate positioning of the metal girders within one millimeter. Fast forward to that 22 months later, Eiffel marked the completion of the principal structural work by leading a tour of the tower. The official opening to the public occurred nine days after the expedition's start, with the lifts entering service later. The tower quickly became a sensation, attracting nearly 30,000 visitors who braved the 1,710-step climb before those lifts were operational. Despite the popularity, the Eiffel Tower faced criticism. Not everyone in Paris shared the enthusiasm, with some fearing structural instability or deeming it an eyesore. Even the renowned novelist Guy Maupassant detested... Oh, him. Yeah, him. Man, well, his opinion. <laughs> I'm always valuing that. He detested the tower, reportedly going so far as to dine at the restaurant at its base to avoid the silhouette of the tower. Yeah, it's going a little far, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't even want to look at it. I'm just going to die in its space, so I don't Calm have to look at it. Calm <laughs> down, sir. Calm down. Eiffel initially had a permit for the tower to stand for 20 years with plans for its dismantling in 1909. However, due to its value for communication, the city allowed it to remain. The Eiffel Tower, you know, once a subject of controversy, especially for <laughs> Guy Maupassant, <laughs> has obviously now become a symbol for Paris. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating detail I was never aware of, that they had intended to take it down after just 20 years. I, I mean, I can't think of any other structure of that size or recognizability that had ever been erected with the intention of just, you know, only standing for two decades. Uh, of course, you know, that's typically you put something like that up and you're expecting it to be there forever and ever. So um, I learned something today, Reg. I hope you learn something every day. I Mark. sure do. <laughs> I never been to the Eiffel Tower or Paris for that Nor matter. Have I. Do you have an option to still take the 1700 steps to the top? Would you do it? Boy, I want to say that I would. You know, I like to to fancy myself someone who's in shape and is uh, working out, and I would look at that as a a cool challenge to complete. But I don't know. I, I mean, it sounds great in theory, and then when you get there and you're looking up at that, it might tell another tale, and you go, yeah, you know what? Maybe I'll just go for a run this morning. After probably about 50 to 100 steps, you'd be like, can I change my mind? I, I, I want that lift. <laughs> Well, nonetheless, yeah, clearly one of the most iconic uh, pieces, uh, structures, buildings, works of art, whatever you want to label it, it might be all of the above in, in history. That'll do it for this edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. You can always contact us at coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. He's Marcus Paff. I'm Reggie Rizou. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>